1: The will to
2: act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Climactic. I'm Georgia Sheel and I'll be your host for today's episode. My introduction to Reed Pearce happened shortly after the announcement of the Inner West Council's declaration of a climate emergency, a huge success for the Inner West and for the Extinction Rebellion here in Sydney. My conversation with Reid took place before the votes for the federal election were counted on the morning of the 18th of May 2019, a day that will surely be reflected on by all of us in decades to come. This was a conversation of hope, action, the importance of language and using momentum to enact change. I gained so much from this conversation on the day and even more so since, and I hope you do too. Oh, Reid, it's so great to be sitting here with you today. It's a beautiful Saturday. It's the 18th of May, which is a quite significant day for us here in Australia. So it's the day of our federal election, and I get to be talking to you on a day where you've had a huge success. So I'm really excited to be talking to you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
2: So, Reid, tell us a little bit about this week. The Inner West Council has passed a notice of motion declaring a climate emergency, and that happened on Tuesday, the 14th of May. So... How did that happen and what was your involvement in that?
1: Well it was a very interesting story and I guess it started about maybe three weeks ago so it wasn't that long in the works but I have been working with the local group Extinction Rebellion and a number of councils have been declaring climate emergencies say over the past month and there seemed to be the momentum. I live in the inner west and it just seemed natural to me that inner west should be the next one to do it. So I had this big plan I was going to go out to Newtown Station with petitions and get all these people signed up and then go to council and say, hey, we have 10,000 people that want a climate emergency. But before I did that, I, I just said, well, you know, why don't I just contact a councillor and see what they think about this? Are they thinking of it? I happen to work for council at Canterbury Bankstown, so I kind of know how things work there. Oftentimes, uh, you know, council just has to put forth what they call a notice of motion, and that really sets the ball rolling. So I wasn't even thinking it would get to that stage, but I did reach out to the Greens counselors, those being natural allies to this. I said, you know, I'm not going to contact the Libs with this. So I went to the Greens, and as I said, I didn't think it was going to be, yeah, this is awesome. Let's get it off the ground and do it. I just thought they said, yeah, if you can come with some petitions or whatever. I was just flagging interest. Well, Marganita DeCruz, one of the, the Greens uh, counselors for Inner West, wrote back to me and said she loved the idea. She hadn't actually thought of it before, but because I brought it to her attention, she was going to put forth a notice of motion. So I was like, oh, wow. Well, that was fast. <laughs> I wasn't actually expecting it to be that easy, at least to get to, to that stage. But at that point, I realized, OK, so we got the notice of motion. We have five Greens counselors out of 15. So we stand a good chance of getting this passed. So then I said, well, I just need to be focusing on those swing votes. And so those were the laborers mostly. And what I did is just email them, text them, call them. And I did that mostly myself. Then I put that on Facebook and told my Extinction Rebellion people to really lay it on heavy. And um, sure enough, you know, once we got there that evening, it was pretty clear we were going to win. We just didn't know how much we were going to win by. I thought we had maybe seven or eight votes. I thought it'd be close, but we ended up passing unanimously. There was one counselor who, I won't single her out, but she really hated the idea of it and walked out. And she thought that it was a joke. Well, climate change is a joke, she said. She said that there's no chance that us passing a climate emergency is going to solve it, even if it was actually happening. And then she said the real emergency was that old people couldn't afford heating. And that we needed to be focusing on picking up rubbish. That was quite an obstacle. I was worried she was going to sink the ship. She actually had called me personally beforehand, and um, actually was really nice. But it was like talking to my old grandmother about, you know, about some sort of major issue like climate crisis. She just didn't get it. She said, I've lived a long time. I've seen the weather get really cold. I've seen it get really hot. So I'm just not bought into it, and there's science on both sides. I was like, well, you know, 99% of scientists say that actually it is happening. She goes, well, I'm not sold. I was like, okay, thanks for calling, you know. And sure enough, she walked out that night. But after she did, it passed unanimously. So I think that sends a really strong signal that InterWest is behind it. And in all honesty, they were doing a lot before this. But I think this changes the tone of the conversation. It changes it from one of climate change, which is a very boring term. It was actually a right wing, you know, focus group term that came up to make the crisis not a crisis. It used to be global warming. Then somehow it got changed to climate change, which just sounds like, you know, the weather is changing. We're now using climate emergency to really hammer the point home that we have to act now. They're actually putting into the new CEO's KPIs at the, the key performance indicators at council. They have a new uh, CEO coming on board who specifically said, I want to have some accountability for this, which is great. So they're a progressive council. They have a progressive CEO coming in. We're now working on what those KPIs look like. How can we actually measure that InterWest is performing and being the climate leader they say they are? One of their goals is to become carbon neutral by 2025, which is awesome. But they have to actually do it. So that's that's the, the next stage of this, is to keep the pressure on and make sure they actually follow through.
2: And so you mentioned, sorry, I was laughing almost the whole time. Thank you for keeping a straight face. But <laughs> I found that story absolutely hilarious, which maybe it's just a reflection of that I spend a lot of time around people that agree with me. And um, actually, it's quite an almost a refreshing moment. But so you talk about KPIs, and I think that's really exciting because... The first thing i thought when i realized that you actually passed this declaration i was thinking okay what does that mean Mm -hmm. so what does that now does that now make a step change does that mean we've unlocked capital to invest in things or does that just Mm -hmm. is it a policy element tell us what this means now and what can potentially happen because of it
1: yeah that's an excellent question because it's one thing and this was the thing that the counselors who had maybe an issue with it they said i don't want it just to be symbolic they said that I understand the significance of symbols sometimes, but if I'm going to vote yes for this, I want it to be more than just a symbolic vote but i'll I'll say there's nothing wrong with it just being symbolic with just changing the language. I think that hammers home to to ratepayers and citizens alike that you know this is a crisis, and we need to be acting on the individual level as much as the the governmental level but from that perspective, they added in. This section around tying the climate crisis to the CEOs KPIs and what does that look like? It's it, they're first of all going to I think specifically look at how the CEO's compensation is reflected by meeting these goals and we're working on what those goals look like right now. But one of those is fully uh, turning the council buildings I believe onto solar power. They've already made this an objective, but I think there's specifically going to be a KPI now is to deinvest all money in dirty energy that's a a big one i think so i think they're already were 50% of the way there they're now almost 99% of the way there but it's just going to be holding them further accountable not to to dis, uh to divest their funds if you will from dirty energy and dirty investments so that's another one another thing they wanted to look at was uh, they currently have three council buildings, perhaps putting all efforts into one building that was centrally located, trying to cut down on just personal transport emissions. So there's a wide range of activities they're looking at, but I think um, it's really looking at every single operation within council through the lens of how does this align with our climate target. So it's going to have a specific budget item aligned to it. I think there's going to be an actual committee set up that is going to specifically look at not just the environmental impact, but also the climate impact of all standard operation and procedures. So it's going to be pretty robust, and some councils have just declared the emergency, but then it was like, well, okay, what next? I'm hopeful that this is actually going to change business as usual and make it where it's uh, quite, it has teeth to it, and there's actually some changes that come out of it.
2: Because council also have um, implications when it comes to development of housing or infrastructure and then also waste, recovery, those sorts of basic services to their community that they represent. Are there elements of that as well? Like, are we going to see potential changes when it comes to approvals for certain properties being developed, or are we going to see um, the introduction of different waste recovery techniques and things like that? With that on the agenda?
1: That was not necessarily on the agenda, though I think it's certainly in the background. So things like um, development application DAs, I think certainly this should be an element of it. There has to be some degree of understanding what what its energy standards are before it's just uh, approved. Uh, When it comes to waste management, they're doing a lot on that. But I think I would like to see further efforts around waste management. That's certainly a significant issue for most councils. I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the past year, China stopped buying recycled plastic, which has had a huge impact on Australia. So we need to figure out Right now, we're just stockpiling all these recyclable goods. But at the end of the day, they're, they're just sitting there being waited for some eventual use. So there has to be a proactive measure by council to figure out, well, first of all, how do we reduce our use of plastics? So that could be simple things like banning single-use plastic or um, within council facilities, encouraging businesses to also drop single-use plastic, to figuring out how are we going to better better manage these resources going forward. So yeah, there has to be some sort of element of waste uh, management put into those KPIs. What it looks like at this stage is too early to say, but there will be some degree of it.
2: I'm curious as well. So you've been able to take action and then you've been able to follow that action through to actually seeing a really substantial change. So this is amazing success to have... Um, a climate emergency declared by council, and it's happening across the board now. Um, it's not happening everywhere. I know that's the next steps part, but what do you think made the difference here? You know, What is your philosophy of change within this as an example? How, how come this has been a success as compared to potentially other attempts at change in the past Like, so we can sort of impart that wisdom on our listeners?
1: Well, I think largely it was out of our control. It was just the momentum internationally was on our side at this stage. Ever since... I would say Extinction Rebellion got started in the UK. Just a little bit about Extinction Rebellion. They, they started back in November. Relatively small group of people, but that's transformed into a group that shut down London for about a week. They had well over a thousand arrests. Couldn't turn on BBC without seeing something about Extinction Rebellion. They've really made this climate emergency mainstream. So much so that the UK Parliament declared a climate emergency. Uh, the Scottish Parliament did as well as Ireland. I even believe the Welsh Parliament did declared a climate emergency. So it certainly was a game-changer for us. Changing the language, seeing it become more and more mainstream, has added to that momentum because this movement started about two years ago of trying to get councils to declare a climate emergency. However, it didn't really pick up steam until the past few months. And I think historically it was just trying to change the language, get it, people to take it more seriously. But it's the combination of just uh, being the right time, the right place as well as just recent events here in Australia. I suppose with New South Wales being in massive drought, uh, fires going on in Tasmania, um, millions of fish dying in the Murray-Darling River system, all these sort of things have made you know, the, the news as of late and made people realize, okay, so climate crisis is real. It's not something that's going to happen in the future, but we're actually living in it right now. And now's the time to do something. So something I always say, if if, you know, is if not now, when. So I think that's been a major selling point for a lot of people, saying, okay, we need to take this seriously and act accordingly.
2: And you've been really heavily involved in this whole process. We had a little um, chat beforehand over coffee, and. I'm really fascinated as well by it being the right time but also it being the right person with the right skill set potentially as well, whether that um, impacts on it and when it comes to change, thinking about when you're trying to take action, thinking about what is the action require, what skill set, what experience potentially does it need and then making sure you've got the right fit because that's something I, I feel may have happened in this example as well. Your experience with council but also your career before now, how much... Of a part did that play? Do you think?
1: I would say it was it was very helpful, but it wasn't hundred percent relevant necessarily to the broader movement. So there's a lot of great people working on this that come from all different angles and all different aspects. Specifically with Inner West, I guess given the fact, well, I used to be a lawyer, I used to be a management consultant, so I, I guess I lend a certain air of credibility when speaking to those level of stakeholders, as well as the fact that I work for council, so I could speak their language and know how things kind of work through. But look, there's been people that have gotten this through other councils that don't necessarily have that experience. They just have the passion and the, the ability to really push their counselors to do the right thing. So at this stage, there's so many people from different backgrounds that are re- becoming climate activists, becoming climate warriors, that at this day and age, there's no right background for it. And that's what I've realized about Extinction Rebellion is I, I had done work with Greenpeace and the Wilderness Society in the past as a volunteer. I had volunteered with the Greens. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't too much out of my comfort zone to join Extinction Rebellion. I saw what they were doing and was like, wow, this is really amazing. The results they're getting and just the group itself, is this is the movement for me. But I've seen people come in that are first-time activists. that are like, I don't know what I can add to this movement except for my passion and my voice. And they're getting stuff done too. So I have a close colleague and fellow activist and friend now named Michelle, who's working on City of Sydney. And that's our the next one on our plate. And she didn't know what she was doing. She just knew that this was important to her. And she started uh, making things happen. So I like to think that my background has helped me. But at the same time, you know, everybody can do their own part just by, by joining up.
2: Which is a strong, it's a really strong message. So bring what you've got. I really want to touch on the fact that you've really not lost a lot of time. So the 14th of May was the declaration of climate emergency. And then on the 16th of May, you've already got your eyes set on City of Sydney. So (laughs) you don't really stop to take a breath, which is fantastic. And so tell us a little bit about what City of Sydney means to this cause. If we could get City of Sydney over the line on a climate emergency, what does that mean? Because I know that you've got the goal of having a national declaration, which is of course what we need. And is City of Sydney instrumental within that? Is that is it a big calling card? Tell us about what the next steps are, how we're going to get there.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. So, I want to say that all along my goal with Inner West was trying to get a significant council on board, so then we could go to City of Sydney and say, hey, this isn't just some secondary or you know rinky ding council that's declaring a climate emergency, but this is actually you know something you should be doing. So, Inner West, interestingly um i saw them you know i saw this coming once randwick declared and i I don't want to knock randwick but they're not on the level of say city of sydney or even inner west but they're a significant council in the greater sydney area i said one if they if we can get randwick then we can get inner west and if we can get inner west then we can get city of sydney and the the importance of getting city of sydney and i should say that they're doing awesome work on the environment they're doing awesome work on climate they just need to be more of a climate leader. And I think using the vocabulary of the present moment is necessary to do so. So why, you know, why did I only wait two days before I jumped into it? It's because of momentum. You know, if I had waited and said, okay, let's wait a week or two, um, you know, it would die down. What's made this all possible is the momentum from, you know, let's say UK Parliament, Scottish Parliament, It's just a rippling effect. And if we can really build on that momentum with a positive result in today's election, begin to pressure on the federal government to actually declare a climate emergency. And that's the whole goal with getting councils to do this, is we realize that our federal government is sorely lagging when it comes to climate action. So we say, well, let's work at the the bottom level of government, at local government. And if we can start getting them on board, then we can start working our way up. Unfortunately, we have a liberal government now in New South Wales at the state level. But if we have positive results today's federal election, then we can start working our way up to there. City of Sydney adds just a significant air of credibility to it with the being the premier council, uh, not just in New South Wales, but probably all of Australia. They add that international aspect to it. They add that credibility that this movement needs that then we can take it forth and use the likes of, say, Clover Moore and people like that to really push it to the national level.
3: Now it's time for Climactic Community Corner, where we play voice messages sent to us on Facebook. We're opening up this space for the community to share events, news, thoughts, feelings, all sorts. If you've got a message to share, just send it to us at Climactic Show on Facebook or hello at climactic.fm. Hey, this is Shannon. If you're feeling dispirited or upset or angry or scared after the recent election results, I've got a place for you to channel that energy. If you come along to the state parliament in Victoria, 12 p.m. on Saturday, June the 1st, uh, we're gonna have a collective roar. We're all gonna channel everything we're feeling and let it out in a 60 second long roar. So come along, don't be dispirited, channel that energy into something that's gonna capture the public's attention and ignite a fire within yourself and with fellow climate activists, with the city roars, Saturday, June 1st, 12 p.m. at the State Parliament.
0: Hello, Annette here from Boomerang Alliance. Did you know that there is an inquiry currently into Victoria's waste and recycling shambles? Well, there is. So the Victorian Parliament would like to know what you think, how they should go about uh, fixing this mess we're in. I think this is really important for groups but also individuals to submit. It can be really quite simple. It won't take a lot of time and uh, I'm going to tell you how to do it because I know everyone's busy and uh, the new season of Game of Thrones needs watching too. So, listen up. Number one, the three R's of recycling. Reduce, reduce, reduce. So, we are calling on a massive education campaign that uh, the government should finance that will lead to a drastic reduction in consumption of plastic items. Number two, what I always bang on about, uh, we need a container deposit scheme in Victoria. Everyone else has it, so let's get on with it a cds helps establish clean streams of pre-sorted glass plastic and aluminium drink containers and that helps a domestic recycling industry which brings me to the third point we are calling for the establishment of a domestic recycling industry last but not least it's really important that uh, we make a point that we don't want our recycling to be incinerated at the moment there's a real push in victoria to start up these uh, waste energy projects the big plant uh, has been approved by australian paper in the latrobe valley we need to make a point that there is massive opposition to that if that and other projects go ahead it's going to be quite hard for councils to say no to them this will be the end of recycling in victoria there are so many issues with waste to energy in australia in the current climate of a recycling crisis so these are the four main points as i see them make it short and snappy in your own words is always best and encourage everyone else uh, that you know to submit as well The lovely Mark will add a link to where to submit and also there is a blog that our friends from Zero Waste Victoria have put up that gives you a bit more information on other things that you could say and add to. So I hope this was helpful and will save you some time to go out and enjoy the beautiful autumn, but not before you've submitted and encourage lots of your friends to submit as well. Okay, take care. Bye.
2: What does it take to, to get this sort of a national declaration? you know is it a does everyone in New South Wales need to, to sign a petition? Do we need to get more art uh, like more hearts and minds behind this? like what's it going to take and what's the process look like?
1: That's a great question. I'm not even actually sure, to be honest. I think it's going to take all different aspects of activism. It's going to be taking us, you know, going to the streets with Extinction Rebellion, having actions and rallies and things like that. It's going to take just general petitions. I'm not sure if you saw, but last week, five activists from Greenpeace scaled the Sydney Harbor Bridge and had massive banners saying, declare climate emergency. So it's getting that level of attention through the media that starts signaling it home to the common person, but also sending a strong message to politicians that, hey, you need to start using this word and acting accordingly. So it's going to take that level of activism. At the same time, it's just going to take us really putting pressure on our local politicians, so our MPs, and just saying, you need to start putting this forward. At the same time I was working on Inner West. I was petitioning Jenny Long, who's one of the Green State MPs, and she's going to be putting forth a climate emergency within the New South Wales Parliament just really reaching out to our politicians and, and you'd be really surprised how, I, I, I just I don't know if they don't get many calls or they don't get many emails or they, you know or what it is, but you'd be surprised that one person standing up can make a significant impact. So for for example at West Council, I was the sole person to ask them to do something and they said, oh yeah, it's a great idea, we just never thought of it before. I was like, oh, okay, so literally I all it took was me sending an email to get this through. There's that level of disengagement, I think, with the voting population, that if we just take, you know, one person stands up, making a significant difference. And if everybody just starts doing their part, calling their their representative, calling their MP, that's all it takes to really get this going. You can even send an email. It's, it's you know, it's it's that simple. Just standing up and saying something, I think, can really push it forward. And then once the, let's say the federal government does declare a climate emergency, That's going to unlock a lot of funds, unlock a lot of uh, resources to actually tackle climate action. And and as it stands now, you know, we have the Stop Adani movement. If that goes forward, that's going to be a devastating thing to not just the climate, but to the whole climate movement. So it would allow, hopefully, to stop that project, stop digging up coal, start investing in, say, renewables. Because Australia should be, with all the sun we have, it could easily be 100% renewable within a decade. And the amount of jobs that would create and having to install those solar panels would radically revolutionize the economy. So it's it's really a no-brainer from my perspective, but it's really about forcing politicians to realize the the time for action is now.
2: It's a huge week, so I just want to know how you feel. Like, how do you feel about this
1: success that you've had, or does it feel like that to you? Well, it definitely feels like a success. Um, I think it feels somewhat surreal, A, because it happened so quickly, and B, because it just happened. I mean, I just literally just, uh, I said, you know, I want to climb an emergency declared, and, and they said, yeah, sure, why not? I was like, oh, okay, well, that was fast and easy, and um, I mean, there it it was about three weeks worth of work in it, but still, it was pretty quick how it all happened, and none of us had ever been to a council meeting before, so we all got there, and it was all unfamiliar and really boring at the beginning because they were talking about budget stuff, and we were like, oh, my God, we're going to be here all night, and then all of a sudden, the vote came up, and, and there it was. They voted for it, and it was unanimous except for that one crazy person. <laughs> but um, aside from that, at this stage, I feel like it's a win. I definitely am proud to say that. But at the same time, I just I don't want it just to be something, you know, next week we moved on and nothing happened. I really want it to have teeth and promoting it, getting publicity about it, getting InterWest to really talk about it and own it, I think, is a major next step, uh, as well as getting those KPIs to be really strong. So I'm working with a few groups right now, And Marganita DeCruz has asked me to help her write those KPIs. So it's something I'm actively trying to seek input on because, again, I've never done that. I don't know what a KPI looks like for uh, climate action, but we need to make sure whatever we do come up with is very strong and can actually be accepted by the CEO as well. At this stage, it's a win. I feel good about it. I also feel tired. (laughs) But at the same time, you you rightly noted, I only waited about a day or two before I was on City of Sydney. That was largely because I have a, um, a fellow activist, Michelle, who had been working behind the scenes on them. I knew they were right on the cusp of it, but I was like, look, we have the momentum on our side. And um, I figured we just need to bombard them with emails. So I wrote up an email. I emailed all the counselors, sent it out to my people on Facebook. It spread pretty quickly. I think they are being bombarded by emails as we speak. So it's it's on their agenda. And as I said, you know, we just got to keep pushing and. I don't ever feel like my job is ever going to be done. As long as we can keep pushing the conversation forward, I can at least take take these small wins as as, as some success.
2: And so how can we help you push it forward?
1: That's a great question. I think, uh, well, if you just go to the City of Sydney website or Google City of Sydney councillors, you can find all their contact information. Simply sending them an email goes a long way or calling them up even more so. I had talked to someone before who said they have kind of a, A rough uh, estimate, like for every email that comes in, they estimate that maybe 10 voters think the same way. For every phone call, it might be like 50 people because they think most people are apathetic. But if someone's actually writing, taking the time to write an email, they estimate, well, you know, 10 other people probably feel the same way. So that keeps in the back of their mind a a rough estimate of what their, their voters are thinking. Um, so I would just keep that in mind, that it may seem silly to send an email, but actually it goes a long way, and they actually read all these, and you'll get a thoughtful response back nine times out of ten. I would say just sending them an email saying you support city of Sydney declaring a climate emergency, you'd support them taking action faster, because, as I said, you know, they are doing a lot already, but they need to do it faster. I think a lot of their climate work is tied to 2050. Well, that's still 30 years in the future, and that's not enough time. I mean, that's, that's way too much time, rather. We need to be doing things by like 2030, 2025, what InterWest Council is trying to tie a lot of their initiatives towards. That pace of change that we need to be working towards. So I think one other thing that City of Sydney could do better is that they've really prided themselves on taking no debt. And they're at this stage, they I think they have a zero debt, which is, is a thing to be commended, I suppose. But they should not be afraid of debt and taking on debt to build a lot of renewable resources, taking on the renewable infrastructure that's necessary for the climate transition. So forcing them to be a little more bold in their initiatives, I think would go a long way. So as I said, what everybody out there that's listening to this can do is simply just call Clover Moore's office, Jess Miller, who's been working with us. She's a tireless advocate for us, but we need every counselor on board to to push this forward and and not just really adopt some meaningful work, but change the language. We need to change the language from climate change, which sounds boring and not urgent, to to the proper term, which is climate crisis or climate emergency.
2: Okay. So I've never called a council before. So I thought for some of our listeners who might be in the same boat as me, let's do a quick trial. You're going to be the council. I'm going to be the citizen. Okay. I might not get this perfect, but this is just for anyone that's listening that might not be hundred percent sure of like, what does it actually feel like and sound like to call and What do you even say? So we'll just pretend. So I'm just ringing the council now. It's ring, ring. And then you answer.
1: Hi, uh, Councillor Pierce talking.
2: Uh, Hi, Councillor Pearce. Um, My name's Georgia Scheel and I live um, in Alexandria and I just wanted to let you know that I think that it is really important that we declare a climate emergency and that we change the language around that and that we see some real action. I know you're doing a lot of great work, but we'd like to see you do it faster.
1: Well, I appreciate your call today. Um, I would say that, you know, we are doing a lot and I don't see why uh, this is important right now to you.
2: It's important right now to me because we only have until 2025 to really make some significant action. We need to make sure we completely cut our emissions Um, and it really matters to me. We're in sixth um, extinction and it's just something that I think really matters to our country and to the world and I believe that you are, as elected representatives, um, well, our elected representatives need to make sure that they're reflecting other people's thoughts and feelings and this is how we feel, so
1: I'm communicating that to you. Well, I appreciate that. I think that if there is something put forth to council, I would certainly consider it on its merits. And if it has something substantive to it, it's not just symbolic, I'd probably vote for it.
2: Okay, I'll get to it. Thanks
1: very much. It's pretty much as simple as that. (laughs) (laughs) That felt scary, but I'm glad I did it. It was good. (laughs) So that's just an example because the person I talked to on the phone was like, I don't believe in climate change and you can't convince me, you know talking about dinosaurs and all sorts of stuff and uh, anyway there's gonna be some crazy counselors and then just realizing you know you can kind of laugh at those people and say okay well I'm not gonna win you over but 90% of counselors are on the fence they just need to be pushed in the right direction and and they're mostly reasonable people they're not all you know scary or crazy people so just talk to them they're people just like you and I especially at the counselor level you know most people are that are on council are doing this as a part-time gig and they're just they want to be involved in- politics to some degree, so most counselors are just regular people, so they're pretty easy to talk to, so yeah, and they mostly will talk to you on the phone. so I was surprised by that the uh, The level of accessibility is pretty easy, and they even list their mobile number, it's probably a, a work mobile, but still you can just call it or text them and uh, If you're afraid to talk to them, just send an email and or a text and say you know you better support this or else." there's going to be a lot of upset people and I, they get it you know they they want to win elections too and they realize if this is important to a lot of people they'll take the, the, the necessary step to do so
2: well thank you for letting me fumble my way through that that was um, not the most dignified moment of my life but I did it you know and I think even <laughs> it wasn't real but I, I practiced and so now I'm going to go and make some real calls because it's really not as um, hard as you think it is you just got to trial it maybe get a friend practice with a friend maybe that's my note um So I know that you're doing a lot of work at the moment and at the moment your home is Sydney and you're here with the council, but you're about to embark on a sort of a new adventure in moving, educating, going to India. And that's a super exciting part of your journey. So I want to talk a little bit more about the next steps for you and like what your visions are. So what is it that you're working on next and what is it that gives you hope?
1: Well, that's a great question. So... uh... I just got an Australian citizenship, and it sounds odd. I just got citizenship, and now I'm going to leave the country, but I'm going to be going to India. I've been working in council, and I've been working as a management consultant. And I, as I said previously, I used to work for Greenpeace. and it was very idealistic that I'd be doing a job that aligned with my values. Somehow I found myself doing the exact opposite and having to go to an office that was very uninspiring and oftentimes as a consultant going up against clients that I saw as the problem. You know, people like BHP or Rio Tinto, I was having to give them advice. I was like, well, this certainly doesn't align with my values. So how could I make a significant change in my life? And now I worked for council, which I thought would be an improvement. And in many ways it was, but I still wasn't doing the work that really resonated with my soul. And it still felt, you know, I guess I'm getting burned out of going to the office job when I'm really more activist inclined. And So anyway, I've always was told I'd be a good teacher, and I've decided to make a change and go into teaching high school and teaching history and global politics. which really aligns with my activist ideology, I suppose. But it's interesting. um, I was inspired to get involved with Extinction Rebellion because of Greta Thunberg. She was also the one who inspired me to become a high school teacher because I realized that our generation—you know, I'm almost 40— we are not the ones necessarily that are, A, going to feel the brunt of climate crisis, but B, we're not going to be the ones that can really push this forward. It is the young people. So I was really inspired by her and wanted to get them involved and and start teaching as a form of activism, if that makes sense. Not necessarily going in there with a um, clear agenda saying, you know, you need to become activists, but just going in there and teaching history through the right perspective and, and teaching people to be aware citizens. So much emphasis these days is put on education solely for getting a job that we are slowly be turning into automatons and we're not mindful of our role as an active citizenry. So subjects like history or social science are being overlooked in favor of, say, science or engineering, which I think eventually, if no one understands history, we're going to have a major deficit when it comes to democracy. So that's why I was inspired to go into teaching. So I'm going to India to teach at an international school there. I'll be sad to leave Australia, obviously. It's not permanent, most likely, but I will be going there to at least make a change and see what I can do to make the planet a better place. But I I think I'm leaving uh, on a high note after getting these wins done. I think it'd be good leaving here knowing I'd accomplished a lot, but I'm trying to hand things off in a good way to teach other people how to do just, just what I've done. And I think the, the key that I've taken away is that anybody can do this. If they just stand up, if they're passionate about something if they just want to make change, just stand up and say something. You just contact your local councillor. It's as easy as that. And then you can start working your way up to, to, say, a state MP, to working your way all the way up to the federal level. It is astonishing how open they are to, to getting these done things, I guess, open to criticism, open to input. Because at the end of the day, their their jobs depend on it. They, they need votes. And if the majority of their electorate feels a certain way, they're going to act accordingly. So I think if I can teach just one person to become an activist, I, I feel like my job here in Australia would be uh, ending on a positive note.
2: I can tell you there's a lot of wisdom and insights in, in this conversation alone. So it's, would be surprised how many people engage with someone as an example and you're, you're definitely leading by example. So it's fantastic to have that insight and to see it happen and see it roll out and just realize you're a real person, you know, <laughs> with real things going on um, and that's a, it's a lesson for all of us that we we all have it in us. You know, if you've got it, we've got it too, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've, I I guess it could really just come down to anybody being actively involved. I think some people think that being an activist, you have to go to school and study activism or something. You have to <laughs> have a the right background. No, being an activist just means that you're getting out there on a subject that you care greatly about. So, I'll use the the vote for yes a couple of years ago as a tangible example that, you know, they probably would not have passed it had, you know, the majority of uh, people not been very vocally actively involved in supporting it. Politicians, especially when it came to that, were like, well, I'm not going to take a a bold stance on this. So they put it back to the voters in a referendum, which is really silly because, first of all, they're elected to make hard decisions. So then they put it back to the voters so they didn't have to make a decision. But if people hadn't got there on the streets and really been actively calling people and been active on that, we probably wouldn't have seen the, the Yes campaign be successful. So that's just one example of, of how activists can make a difference. And activists don't have to be the image of, say, someone with dreadlocks or a hippie out there yelling and doing protest. And many people think, well, they don't want to work, so they're just going to become an activist. A true activist is just someone who you know, has a nine to five job or whatever, but they also have time for their passion. They're passionate about a certain topic. Let's say it's climate change and they want to see something done because they don't want to see future generations have to live in a planet that's not hospitable to to life. So they go out there and just start simply by writing an email and they're like, oh, okay, well, I saw a little wind there. So maybe I'll go to a protest this weekend. And then they, they actually have fun. They meet some interesting like-minded people and they say, well, let's go do something else. And it just starts going on and it's all about momentum. And that's, comes back to why i I targeted city of sydney directly after that because these movements they start growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it was what's most inspiring to me is i was involved with extinction rebellion here back in its early days and there was literally five of us sitting around a coffee table at central station here in sydney and um i left thinking well uh me and my partner shiva um she was saying well this is nice but there's only five people i was like well you know if the next meeting each one of us brought a friend. That's ten. And then the next time, if everybody brought a friend, then that's twenty. And this is just exponential growth. It didn't really play out that way. But sure enough, I think because of the success they had in London, we're now dealing with uh, at least several hundred people at our most recent rally. People on Facebook is, is I think, just passed over a thousand. So I think it's building. And once, you know, once it hits critical mass, that's when we're going to be dealing with some significant change. That extinction rebellion here in Australia will be on the same par as that of the UK. So. It really is simple as starting with one person. And I'm always reminded of that great quote from Gandhi that be the change that you want to see in the world. And I think that you just have to live it at the very uh, individual level and then that effect ripples outward.
2: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for putting your energy and heart into this on behalf of everyone, making it so accessible. Because I think these sorts of conversations, we need to start having them more, but we also need to start looking at activists as a real pivotal part of the conversation because you've clearly been able to achieve a whole lot. And so it's just been really fantastic talking to you. I'd love to wrap up with my favourite question, which is just around, you know, what is your vision for 2040? Tell us about your hope and what you see as
1: possible. That's a great question. Um, There's interestingly, there's this uh, new video. There's a politician in America that many people probably know named Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She's a very inspiring young woman who's actually made it to the the halls of US Congress. And she's a person of our generation, our, our voice, knowing the significance of climate change. And they put forth this video of her talking about 2040 or some period in the future. And she's looking back and, you know, she sees a more collaborative society, a society that doesn't view nature as an adversary, but that we're a part of nature and that we have things like high-speed rail that are connecting all the cities. So let's say in Australia, we have high-speed rail that connects Melbourne all the way to Brisbane. We have clean energy throughout the city. We have less cars, more bicycle lanes. We have just a more environmentally friendly society. We're using less plastic. We're more friendly with our animal friends on this planet. So end of animal agriculture perhaps and just viewing us all as we're one species here we're not you know we're not against each other we're all for each other so I would envision a more friendly collaborative compassionate society and one that nature thrives and and we thrive alongside it.
2: Thank you so much for sharing your vision and your time with us today I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, you're very welcome thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much for listening. It was a real pleasure bringing you this episode with Reed Pearce, a man who instills a sense of calm and clarity and who takes our collective responsibility for preserving our living world seriously. If you were inspired by the work being done by the Extinction Rebellion, I highly recommend following the link in our show notes. And why not try connecting with your local representatives? After all, they're just humans, you know, with fears and hopes and dreams. You never know where a conversation might take you. With the results of the election still raw, for me and for many of us who stood in solidarity for a climate election, this week has been heavy. With it, in time, will come lessons, wisdom and a path forward. What has this election taught us about ourselves, about our country, about what needs to happen now? I have so much to say and yet cannot find the words. So I will lean now on the words of a dear friend, Sarah Sannon, and her post-election affirmation, which brought me endless comfort this week. Post-Election Affirmation by Sarah Sannon I believe in the power of individuals, communities, councils and businesses to drive change. I believe in the human capacity for empathy and that growing our sphere of empathy to include people and things who are not like us can be learnt. I believe the world is not made up of silos of social, environmental and economic problems, but they are all interconnected. I believe in democracy. I believe we need to change the story to one of connection and inclusion. I believe we need to engage the people who struggle every day to help them see how we are really helping them. I believe the best way to do this is through conversation to build empathy and connection. I believe that Australians have vision and are willing to take responsibility for the future. I believe in the resilience of people and movements who are driven by the desire to simply make the world a better place. I believe we can change the world.
3: This has been a production of Climactic, a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidikara. Our digital design is by Rose Fidicara. Our climactic theme is produced by Greg Drassi, and our logo, designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times.